Alright, so as we begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and starting in verse 1, it says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise a wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the married and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy." But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called as the Lord's bondservant is a freeman of the Lord. And likewise, he who was Free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about the worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about the worldly things, how to please her husband. 
I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. One day this week, I was at a very busy day. I had to go over to a job for just a little bit in the morning and finish up something real quick on that job. And then after that, I needed to meet uh, Tim back at my house. He's going to help me do a couple things on my house. After that, I had to be at a dentist appointment. And then I got back from the dentist appointment and wanted to finish up tucking the mortar around the bricks around the windows on the outside of the church before it got too cold. Then announce a football game that evening. So I had a pretty busy day ahead of me. So first thing in the morning, I was going as quick as I could. I pulled over to the job and, and my trailer on my work trailer has a, a big door on the back that, that flops down. So it's a ramp on the ground. I needed something out of the trailer. So I went and I dropped that door down and I got a little too much ahead of myself. And I went to step in before the door was all the way down. As I stepped in, I tripped on the edge of the door. So I fell forward onto the door. The only problem was my other foot was still under the where the door was coming down. It has a big metal thing across the bottom there. So my big toe ended up being the only thing still underneath the door. So the door lands on my big toe and I land on the door. And yeah, that was painful. You know, sometimes we just get a little bit ahead of ourselves. And we step a little too quick without enough maybe thought going into it or enough calculation in the situation. And we end up causing ourselves pain. And with as much negativity as we've seen within the epistle to the Corinthians in this first letter, it's been one correction after another correction. Uh, But we get to a point where I'd actually kind of have to pat them on the back a little bit. Now we're entering a different segment of the letter. They're still going to find some things that they're doing wrong. But in this part of the letter, the Apostle Paul turns from the accusations that he's heard about them to things that they've actually written to him about. They have a list of questions that they want answered. And so that's good. In this area, it seems like maybe they're not really running ahead of themselves and ending up in trouble, causing damage to themselves and the other relationships within the church, as we've seen in the earlier part of the letter. But they have a lot of questions. Remember, they're living in a pagan society. And this pagan society has a very different understanding of what is okay and not okay dealing with the issues of marriage and singleness and and sexuality and Christianity is new to them. And they're like, how do we see these different things? How do we make these decisions and choices within our lives? And that was a good, that was heads up on their part. And so that's what we're looking at in chapter 7. Is It mainly kind of boils down to these two things, marriage and singleness. Now, what I want to do today as we start to scratch the surface on this and go a little deeper is uh, I want to look at what I call primary principles. So as I went through chapter 7, I noticed that there were some guiding principles that get applied to all the different areas. Some big picture ideas that we need to keep in mind as we consider these ideas of marriage and singleness and 
how that should impact decisions along these lines that we make in our lives. Well, the first of the primary principles that I see within this passage is know your purpose. Know your purpose. Now, the reason that I say that is because our main purpose in life keeps poking its head up as we go through this passage. Look with me in in verse 23. Verse 23 repeats a phrase that we found at the end of verse 6. In verse 23, he says, You were bought with a price. Look back at chapter 6 and verse 20. He says, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. He's really saying the same thing here when you think about it because you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. He just got done talking to them about sexual immorality. And he's saying, look, the body is not for sexual immorality, it's for God. Glorify God with your whole being. Glorify God in your body. That's a primary principle. That's, that gives us our purpose in life. And so that should impact our practical decisions. But when he gets to verse 23 of chapter 7, he's doing the same thing. Because he says, you were bought with a price. Again, what, what is the price that we're bought with? We're bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ shed His own blood on that cross to redeem us out of our sinfulness. And so he's saying, look, you were bought with a price, so glorify God. You were bought with a price, so what does he say? Do not become a bondservant or a slave of man. Don't subject yourself to slavery to man, to, to this world, to this world system, to this world view. Rather, he's saying, submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to Christ. It's the same thing. Bring honor and glory to God in the things that you're doing because you're bought with a price. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, he says, So whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, we're headed there. We're going to get there. Right now we're in 1 Corinthians 7, just less 1 Corinthians 6, right? So he's talking about sexuality. He says, so what do you do? All to the glory of God. What about marriage, singleness? What do you do? Don't serve men, serve God. So again, kind of all to the glory of God. Then he's going to go from there. What about idolatry? What about, what about meat sold in the marketplace that's been offered up to these idols? And when he gets to the end of that discussion, chapter 10, verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, he's taking these different areas of life and these different decisions that are made, and he keeps coming back to the same principle, the same overarching principle. What do I do? Do all to the glory of God. Whatever the situation, do it to the glory of God. How do I, how do I work as an, an, as an employee? To the glory of God. How do I treat people as a boss to the glory of God. Any question you have in life needs to submit to this one thing. What would bring God the most glory through my behavior and my attitudes in this situation? That's a primary value. So as the Apostle Paul is going through a very personal and practical area of life, which is marriage and singleness, overarching principle, the glory of God. Don't serve the man-made pressures and the man-made customs that you might find within the culture that you live in. The glory of God is our overarching principle. In the Westminster Confession, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer to that question is listed as man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Psalm 86, verse 9 says, All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Romans chapter 11, verse 36 says, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. My existence is what? From Him. 
Because He's the Creator of all things. It is to be for Him. It's to be to Him. And so everything that I do should be impacted in that way. You can break it down even further into different parts of your life. Well, what about my... Just like we were doing a moment ago. What about my work ethic? It's from Him. It's for Him. It's to Him. Everything in our life should be this one principle. The chief end of man. Glorify God. Enjoy Him forever. But then also we see that there's another primary principle. The first one is is to know your purpose. Why am I here? That's my purpose is to bring honor and glory to God. That's why I'm created. But the second one is to know your gift. And the reason that I bring that out is because he keeps applying it to all the different areas that he's dealing with through here. He says, look, he can't tell anybody exactly what they should do in this area of marriage and singleness. He has his bent. He has his thing what he thinks is best. But he keeps qualifying that. He keeps saying, but you've got to live out what God has for you. But it just depends on how He wired you. In Notice verse 6. Now as a concession and not as a command. This isn't a command that applies to everybody at all times here. He says, I wish that all were as I myself. Now, the Apostle Paul was not married. Now, other apostles, Peter and some of the others were married. But the Apostle Paul was not married. But the Apostle Paul is saying, I think you guys should all follow my example. Do what I'm doing. But then notice what he says, but each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. you got to go with your gift. What are you wired for? And that's what he's helping them to discover. Notice in verse 17, he says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. And even when he's giving them instruction later in the chapter and he's pushing kind of for singleness, in verse 35 he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. And then down in in verse 36, uh, the, the very last part of it is, let them marry, it is no sin. But, in verse 37, whoever is firmly established in his heart under no necessity, but having his desire under control and his determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, but he who refrains in marriage will do even better. And so it kind of goes back and forth there. He says, look, you can marry, you cannot marry. It depends on you. The Apostle Paul says, for me, singleness. And he says, I think it would be better for a lot of you, and we'll get into why later, but each of you got to do what God has for him. Notice the restraint to the context. There's marriage listed within this context. There's divorce that's listed within this context. There's singleness that's listed within this context. It talks about husbands and it talks about wives. Some of the areas that they want to push the boundaries back on in our day and age and dealing with other areas there, those are not fitting within the context of what he's talking about here when it talks about same-sex marriage and some of those kinds of things. Not on the docket here. But as we look at it here, he says, you've got to know your gift. Nobody knows you better than you. He talks to them about very practical things like temptation. He said, look, the temptation towards sexual things are very strong temptations. If you think otherwise, you're, you're deceiving yourself and you're setting yourself up for a fall. But he says, in the areas of temptation and these areas of dealing with passion, these are strong temptations. And so he just kind of puts it to them frankly. He says, what's your level of self-control? Because if your level of self-control is that you cannot make it through life without being tempted to the point to where you will fall, where you will cave in to those desires, to those passions, then you know your gift is marriage. See, the context for sexual activity is God-ordained and it's within that marriage relationship. And it's a wonderful and it's a beautiful gift from God. It is created by God and commanded by God. And so it is a wonderful thing. But outside that confines of marriage, it is destructive and it's harmful. 
If you can't uh, restrain your passions, and you know what? It's time to be married. What is your future? Am I a person that should be married, not married? Well, let's start with self-control. Is this temptation something that you're going to find yourself caving to? Because if that's the case, then God's wired you for marriage. And that's how he puts it, too. That that's your gift. Well, the last of these primary principles is accepting your calling. He says, only let each person lead to the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So he's not just applying it to the Corinthians. He's applying it to, he's applying it to everybody. Was anyone at the time of his call? So what, what, is, what does that mean? The time of your call, the, the moment you became a Christian, when, you, when the Holy Spirit worked in your life and your heart surrendered to him and you put your faith in Christ, that's the time. He says at the time of your call, were you circumcised? In other words, were you a Jewish person? He says, don't, don't try to erase that. Don't try to get rid of that mark of circumcision. It's fine. How about were, were you an uncircumcised person? Were you, a, were you a Gentile? And the Corinthian church would have had both in their church. Don't try to make yourself Jewish. Don't, don't go get circumcised over this either. Circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't matter. Just honor God with your life. Obey God. What about marriage? Were you married at the time you were called? Then don't seek to be free. Were you single at the time you were called? Then don't look for a spouse. However you're called. He says just he keeps using this one word, remain, remain, remain. Now he also uses the example of slavery. He says, Well, what if you're a slave? If you're a slave when you were called, if you get a chance to become free, become free. Absolutely. You'd be crazy not to. But you know what? If the opportunity doesn't come up for you to be free, you can still glorify God in your life, whether you're a slave or whether you're a free man. If you're a, a bond servant, you're free in Christ. But you know what? If you're free in the world, you're Christ's slave. And so it doesn't really matter to God whether you're free or not. What matters is that overriding principle, do all to the glory of God. And how do I know what context to do all to the glory of God in? Well, he starts with, well, where were you when you were saved? Where are you now? You know what? I love that about the will of God. The will of God always starts right now. The will of God always starts right here. I've had people over the years that have come to me with struggles in that. They say, I made a decision early in my life that I knew was outside of God's will. It's a decision that has lasting impact. Well then, have I missed God's will for my life? Often the phrase will come up, perfect will for my life. I love it because the answer is no, absolutely not. I've had people at times, even dealing with marriage and divorce and remarriage and singleness, these different things, say, I married somebody that God's Word clearly says that I shouldn't have married. So now I've missed the will of God for my life? No. Because look at what God does in this passage. God says, what is your current situation? Are you married? Then what's God's will for your life? Stay married. Are you single? That one's got two options to it, actually. You can either get married or you can stay single. Both of those are fine. It's however God has wired you. No matter what situation you find yourself in today, no matter what the reasons are for why you're in the situation you're in today, the will of God always meets you in the situation where you are and says, now, given the situation where you are, this is the will of God for you now. That is so awesome. That's part of redemption. That is part of the forgiveness that we receive in Christ that I can, no matter where I'm at and no matter how badly I've screwed up my past, right now I can instantly be within the will of God because for my situation, He's put within His Word exactly what I should do. And so the will of God is always from the present. It's always right now. A TV show that I like to watch, there's a line in one of the episodes somewhere along the trail. I don't remember what the what the situation was, but... Somebody had goofed up and they'd goofed up big and somebody else was kind of advising him and they said, you know what? My dad always says, it's what you do next that matters. 
That's the awesome thing about the will of God. You might have goofed up things royally in the past, but when you get that right with God, you know what really matters now? What do you do next? Where does the will of God take me from here? Back then I was in a different situation. The will of God might have taken me a different direction. Right now I'm in this situation. What's the will of God? What do I do? And you can be right in the middle of God's will right now. Now, as we read through chapter 7, marriage kind of seems to get a bad rap, doesn't it? It kind of feels like he's saying single is the way to be. If you can't control yourself, then get married because it's better to do that than to burn. But single is where to be. Now, after going through it many times, I don't think that's quite what he's saying, although it definitely comes across that way a little bit. But he is definitely promoting his singleness. Now, why? Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God is the one who created marriage. Isn't that still true today? It's still not good for man to be alone. Still needs that help meet of his wife. I think so. The biggest blessing in my life next to my salvation is my marriage. I'm all about it. Even in the New Testament, we find marriage being honored and supported. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Back in 1 Timothy, he points out that it was a mark of false teaching to deny marriage. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so if the Apostle Paul would write to Timothy and say anybody that sets marriage aside like that as a requirement is a false teacher, well then obviously he can't be dishonoring marriage or holding it in low esteem in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, this is my consistent principle for all of the churches. And what is that principle? To follow your calling. I've talked to people that are in situation, if we use the biblical term for it right now, their calling is singleness. They're, they're single right now. But they're almost miserable in their singleness because they so want to be married. You know, that might be an indication that maybe your calling will be marriage. But if you haven't found that person yet, that means right now your calling is singleness. And what the Apostle Paul is telling them is be content in that. Don't waste your life today hoping for a life in the future. Don't ruin your todays for your tomorrows. Right now, the calling that God has you in is singleness. So how can you honor God with your singleness? How can you bring glory to God in your singleness? Neither marriage nor singleness is a second class rate of life. Now, what are the reasons? The Apostle Paul obviously has this big push at the moment for singleness. It's a little bit of a difficult passage. There's times when the Apostle Paul says, this is not a command, it's a concession. There are times when he says, I'm not putting a restraint on you, I'm just trying to help you. And so obviously it's going to apply differently to different people. At the same time, he's saying, I'm a trustworthy source of counsel, and I have the Spirit of God. And so the writing that he's putting down, it is under inspiration. And so it is the Word of God. But at the same time, it's giving you leeway, saying some of you are going to be this, some of you are going to be that. And some of the places where he says, I have a command, not the Lord, but no, now this one's the Lord, not me. I think what he's saying is Jesus taught about this, so he got it right from his mouth. This one he didn't teach about, but now I am. And so it's still the Word of God, but it didn't come from Christ. Since it can be taken a couple different directions on this, let's ask why. Why is the Apostle Paul promoting singleness at this point because he gives us his reasons within the passage the reasons that Paul valued singleness is one because of less trouble in the coming persecution in verse 28 he says 
But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time is growing very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none and those who mourn as though they were. Skip down toward the end of verse 31. It says, For the present form of this world is passing away. You see, the Apostle Paul was looking at the world that he lived in and he says, look, I think he, he, I know he thought that the return of Christ was close. Obviously, it's closer for us now than it was for him nearly 2,000 years later. But the Apostle Paul is saying, Look at the world that we live in. If you get married in this kind of world, you're going to have trouble that you're not going to have otherwise. He says there's trouble brewing in this world. And there was. What if Paul was married? You know, one time people were after him for his life. They wanted to kill him. He was put in a basket and let down the outside wall of the city so he could flee to his safety. How much more trouble would that have been if he was married? What about while he was being chased from kind of one town to the other as he was planting churches? Or while he was shipwrecked on the island of Malta or when he was imprisoned in Rome? You see what I mean? He would have had so much more weighing on him if his wife is with him trying to keep her safe. If she's not with him worrying about what's her state while he's sitting languishing in prison. And see the Apostle Paul, he says, what is the present situation? Their present situation was persecution. You're trying to go through that with a family? Holy cow. If you're trying to endure it just on your own, much more manageable. Jesus did address that a little bit. In uh, Matthew chapter 24, he's talking about the end times and when the Antichrist is going to enter the temple with the a, with a sacrifice and set himself up as God. It's called the abomination of desolation. It was foretold by Daniel the prophet. Jesus says, so when you see the abomination of desolation, so this is like midpoint of the tribulation or so, and... The Antichrist breaks the treaty with Israel and he comes in and now all hell is going to break loose. It's really the best way to say it. The powers of hell and the Antichrist is going to be after Israel and persecuting Israel. It's going to be a horrible time. And Jesus said, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until now. No, never will be. Jesus says, if you're in Israel, when that happens, don't even go home to get your coat. Head for the hills. And then right in the middle of all that, he says, oh man, what about pregnant women and nursing moms? How hard is that going to be? Let me ask you this, you parents and grandparents. How many of you, just in the changes that we've seen in our own society, in our own structure, have thought to yourself sometime in the last year to a year and a half, what about my grandkids? What about my kids? That's exactly what the Apostle Paul was going through. He was himself being hunted down and persecuted and watching other people in the church begin to be persecuted. And he knows that the persecution is only going to grow. And he's saying, you know, given the present, we're better off to stay single. It's going to be easier. But then, secondly, he does talk about a single-minded devotion in verses 32 through 35. If you're single, all you've got to focus on is God's will. If you're married, not so much. Your time is going to be more divided because your wife's going to have needs. Your husband's going to have needs. And so he says there is a level of singleness of devotion that you can have really only in singleness. And so those are the two reasons that the Apostle Paul uh, gives for his push towards singleness. But as we get into the nitty-gritty after this, 
and go down through kind of more of the details of marriage and the different forms or the different ways that that can look uh, to us in our in our life and the experiences that we have within that marriage relationship or within singleness itself. Uh, these are the primary principles. First of all, know your purpose. No matter where you find yourself, your purpose is always to bring honor and glory to God. That can happen within singleness and that can happen within marriage. That's your first purpose. Secondly, know your gift. What's inside of you? A hunger for that marriage relationship and passions that go along with that? Then marriage is your gift. But singleness is also a gift. Neither one is a lesser gift than the other gift. And then lastly, accept your calling. One thing when I think about about growing in your Christian faith, there's a phrase I heard a long time ago that I've always thought was so true, and it's just simply this, bloom where you're planted. What does God want me to do? Future decisions? I don't know. What do I need to do right now? Bloom. Bring honor and glory to God. Just begin to grow right where you are. Whatever your situation you're in right now, it's not just a holding ground for what's next. Your part of life right now, your situation in life right now is important. Live out its importance.